So I'm going to pick it up here with this overview of 118 to 320. This is is the section where Paul is laying out the bad news about the human race. I have to know this because I I have to know why it's inappropriate for me to despise other Christians or to condemn other Christians. Because if it, talk, if it comes to talking about condemnation, <laughs> we are all worthy of condemnation. I don't have a status above you that will allow me to condemn you, especially with reference to things that are neither prohibited nor commanded in Scripture. Uh, furthermore, I have no ground on which to despise a brother or sister in Christ because of their practices. Uh, so I have to know this. If, the, if, I, if, if these things are not true, then salvation by grace through faith loses most of its, its impact and most of its significance for daily living. So here we go. Chapter 118 to 32, all humanity is under the present wrath of God. Then in, in 2, 1 to 16, he's going to say, but, but you see, even self-righteous people are under the, under the wrath of God. Because self-righteous people, look at chapter 2, verse 1, just a moment. Because, uh, wherefore, you are without a defense. Do you have O man in your text? That word O is significant in the first century. Uh, in classical Greek, whenever you addressed another person, you would always use the word O. It was the, it was the polite thing to do. In Koine Greek, the, the language of the New Testament, when you put that in, it's a mark of, of emotion. There, there is a strong impulse in the writer or speaker when he says, so I, I almost see Paul writing this almost quivering as he says, you are without defense, O oh man, everyone who judges another. For in that you judge the other, you condemn yourself for you doing the very same things, the one who judges. So, so uh, I, I always condemn the behaviors that I don't like in you. They're all right for me, but I don't want you to do them. You follow? And so, in effect, what he's saying is, when you start condemning... Folks, I've I've been watching this in the news for a decade or so. Um, I think a lot of of what's hurled at us as condemnation of our our ways of living uh, in our broad culture is reflective of what the, the side that's challenging us over these things are already doing. Are, are, am I making any sense to you? Uh, so, uh, Romans 2, 1 to 16, verses 17 to 3, 8, he goes beyond merely the self-righteous to address the Jew who is self-righteous. So, that means then that even Jews are under God's condemnation since they don't keep God's law, 217 to 3.8. Then a summary proof of it quotes that long quotation, series of quotations from the Old Testament in 3.10 to 18. Uh, there is none righteous, no, not one, except my mama and my grandbaby. Amen? So, uh, um, and then the conclusion in 3.19 and 20, look at that. This is where Paul is heading with this specific portion of his letter. So now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be shut and all the world held, held guilty before God because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that that is going to require a substantial discussion in chapters 6 and 7 to to explain what is the knowledge of sin. Most people think that the knowledge of sin is the law tells you what is sinful, and so now you realize, okay, that's sinful, so we shouldn't do that. That's not what the knowledge of sin is in Paul. Uh, 
So we'll we'll talk about that later. Maybe next fall. I'm not sure when, but <laughs> the way it's going, it may be next fall. Uh, so 118 to, tw- uh, to 23, God's wrath is presently at work punishing men who suppress the knowledge that, that God has given them about himself. What I want to point out in this passage is two things. One, God has revealed two things about himself, verses 18 and 19, specifically in 20. So 18, 19, and 20. He's revealed two things about himself to every human being, including atheists, that he exists and that he's powerful. Uh, Every time an atheist says, you should, you ought to check. You You ought to stop the atheist. On what basis can you say that I should do anything? Because we are the we are the effect of evolution, the atheist thinks. Yes, yes. The atheist thinks that we're the effect of, of evolution. Yes. What is it that guides evolution? Chance. Chance. Time and chance. Time and chance. Time and chance. But there is no ought or should in time and chance. It's, it, well, there's simply no right or wrong in time and chance. You, you can't even talk about it being relative. It's, it's irrelevant to talk about relativity even there because it's a, non, it's a non-category. And when, a, when an atheist or, or um, someone who hates Christianity says you should or you should not or you ought or you ought not or that's not good... You say, on what basis do you determine that that's not good? Well, I don't like it. Well, that's not sufficient because I don't like what you're doing and, and, and you think that what you're doing is good. I think it's bad. So we're at an impasse because we have no ground, common ground on which to talk about good and bad. It's all, it's all cast out. So, um, so here we're saying... No, God has in fact revealed himself, two things about himself, that he exists and that he's powerful. That's where should comes from. That's where a child's sense of fairness comes from. That's not fair. How many children have you heard say, that's not fair? (laughs) Uh, And sometimes it's not, but sometimes it's just what? I don't like what you're doing, and I, I, I want to have that. I don't want you, this other person to have that. So, so where did that sense of fairness come from? Uh, C.S. Lewis in, is that in Mere Christianity? I can't recall. Talks about uh, one of the proofs of the existence of God is the, is the sense that we all have of a hierarchy of values, that there are some things that are good in themselves and there are some things that are bad in themselves and there is a, a sense of justice and fairness. Every human being has a sense of justice and fairness. Where did that come from? Not evolution. Because time and chance don't produce, produce those kinds of things. So where did it come from? It's created in us. So uh, verse 19, what may be known about God is evident in them for God has made it known to them. For the unseen things about him are, are, are clearly perceived, being seen by the things that are made, specifically his eternal power and his deity. They know that there's a God, and they know that he's powerful, but um, uh, uh, the result of that is that they have no argument to offer in court. Do You have, you, you have perhaps that they're without excuse. What do you have? Without defense, without excuse. Without excuse. The, the word apology in Greek, apologia, is the, is the uh, defense attorney's um, case that he makes on behalf of the defendant. That's the apologia. Uh, Socrates' apology, uh, it's a, it was recorded by Plato, but it's his defense statement before the court in Athens, uh, trying to defend himself against the charge of atheism. Because um, he wasn't an atheist. He just thought that the gods that the state honored were not 
gods at all. There, there was another, there was one God, he thought, <laughs> remarkably enough. Um, ultimate reality must be unified. Uh, so this is the apologia. You, you have no defense case that you can make because you know the truth. So in verses um, 21 to 23, even when they knew God, well, we just read that, did we not? No, we haven't. Even when they knew God, they refused him due honor and exchanged his glory for the likeness of the image of some creature. But you'll notice in this passage, in verses 21 through 28, uh, well, it's actually 21 through 27, there are three exchanges that are made. So in verse uh, 21, for this reason, when they knew God, they didn't honor him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became vain in their thinking. Vain, what, what word do you have in your text? Futile. In their thinking, and their, their unreasoning heart was darkened. Supposing themselves to be wise, does this sound familiar? Supposing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And here, uh, here is the uh, so. Uh, um, here is the first exchange. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. And if you will think in term in monetary terms, if I pull out an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, it's pink. It's car. It's um. What do we used to call that stuff that we used in elementary school? Uh, that paper, construction paper. It's construction paper. It's pink. And I've written in green ink in the corners, $100. And I put Daffy Duck's picture in the middle. And I say to you, uh, do you have change for the $100 bill? What, what will you say to me? You're Daffy. Uh, yeah, you're Daffy. That's right. <laughs> I, that was good. I, I, I'll, I'll remember that and use it in the future. <laughs> um, uh, because it's, it's worthless. Yes? Well, that's what's happened. This is the exchange rate. Here's what they gave to get rid of. They sold the image of the, of the incorruptible God for, and what they got in return for it was um, uh, the likeness of the image of corruptible man and birds and four-footed creatures and creeping things. Now let me sort this out just a little bit for you. What what is man? What is humanity on the basis of Genesis one? The image of God. The image of God. So we are already the image of God. Yes. But they didn't exchange the glory of, of God for the for humanity. Nor did they even exchange the glory of God for the image of humanity. They exchanged the glory of God for the likeness of the image of the image of God. Uh, you will have had some perhaps experience of this. If you make a Xerox copy of something, we don't do that anymore, but if you made a Xerox copy of something and then took the copy and Xeroxed it and took that copy and Xeroxed it again, the thing begins to degrade. I don't know why. I don't know the, the mechanics of that, but, um, but it is the fact. Well, what do you get if you take the image of God and then make an image of God? I make an image of the image of God. And then you make an, a likeness of an image of an image of God. Um, Isaiah has, has a, a fascinating passage. It's in roughly chapters 41 to 44 of Isaiah. We're not going to look at it today, but one of the things he does is, is taunting idol makers over the folly of making an idol. Yeah. The, the, the ritual for making an idol in the ancient Near East is you, you take wood and you carve it and then you overlay it with a precious metal and you, you paint various parts of it and so on. Uh, 
Then you take your fingers, the priests take their fingers and poke them in the ears of the, of the idol and then put their ears on the, on the ear of the idol so that the ear, idol can hear. And you, you, it's called, the, the ritual is actually called the opening of the mouth of the god. You, the mouth is open so that you can breathe into the mouth. So man breathed into the idol the, the breath of life and the idol became deader than a doornail. <laughs> and that, Isaiah just holds this up to ridicule. It's, it's just marvelous the way he does. Man takes a, a piece of wood and he cuts it in half. Half of it he makes a, a god. The other half he burns in the fire and he sees the fire and he says, Ah, I am warm. And he doesn't have the wit to say, half of it I cooked my bread on, and the other half I made a god. Is this thing in my right hand not a lie? <laughs> this, this is the folly of humanity. We are making ourselves into the image of God now, in the, the image of ultimate reality. We are the ultimate reality. We are ultimate. We define truth. We define everything. So, the first exchange, verse 23, leads to the first handing over. And there are three handings over. So verse 24, For this reason God handed them over in the lusts of their hearts to uncleanness, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. I'm going to stop. What does hand over mean? Yeah. In, in what sense? What, what, what's God doing? Good. That's one of the best answers I've ever gotten for that. Thank you. Um, giving them what they want. Um, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies about his wife. He says in chapter 21, uh, when my, when the, I think it's 20, it might be in 20. When the Lord caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to my wife, this is the kindness you, sh- you shall show me. Everywhere we go, say he is my brother. Well, because I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary and I know great and wise things, most people don't know. I know that chapter 20 of Genesis comes after chapter 18. And in 18, God said, I will come next year and Sarah will have a son. So I know in Genesis 18, he's 99. And Isaac isn't born for a few chapters. So I have to have chapter 20. He's still 99. So how long have they been telling this lie? Twenty-four years. Are you with me here? Um, I got into that for a reason. Hmm. Oh, um, the reason I got into it was was God's response to Abimelech. You're a dead man because you have another man's wife, and Abimelech says, "Oh, Lord, I, did he not himself tell me that she was his sister, and she told me he was he was her brother." God says, I know that you, in fact, Abimelech said, I did this in the integrity of my heart. And God says, I know you did it in the integrity of your heart. I also did not let you sin against me. Yes, a king would have the right to choose any woman that he wished in the community uh, under, under certain restrictions. And since she said that she was not married, then it was legitimate for him to take her into his home. Into his home. Um. But folks, the reason you were able to get here without being rammed and, and uh, murdered and robbed is that God is still restraining sin in this world. If God were not restraining sin, then all hell would break loose. We thought it already had, but nothing like it's going to be in days to come. The, the point I'm, I'm after here is that when God turns these people over to more sin, he's not taking good people and making them worse. Some people actually read this passage that way. He's, he's taking people whose, whose lives he has restrained from evil 
and he's removed the restraints so that they now have the opportunity to do more of the evil that's already in their hearts to do. He's exposing the evil that's in men's hearts. Protecting dead people and leaving them dead. Leaving them dead, but giving them the opportunity to act in death even more than they have before. So, verse 25, the second exchange. Uh, Do you have who exchanged or they exchanged? Who? Who? Um, the, The word here in Greek, I think... I can make a case is qualitative. It's not just it's not just a pronoun that's pro, that's prolonging the reference to these people who've been handed over sin to sin, but we might read these very ones exchanged the truth of God, and what so they 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 gave the truth of God in order to get a lie, just like I give a dollar. I don't know where we can buy anything. You can't even buy things for a dollar in the dollar store anymore, but uh, pay $10 and get something in exchange for it. Yes? Yes? Well, that's what we're doing here. They're, They're taking the good solid currency of the truth of God and they're exchanging it. And what they get, they're buying this trash. So verse 25 these are the very ones who exchanged the truth of God in order to get a lie. And they worshipped and, and served the creature more than the creator who is God blessed forever. Amen. Uh, so the second turning over, verse 26, for this reason God handed them over to dishonoring passions. The women exchanged here is, here is the exchange. The women exchanged the natural use for that which is contrary to nature. In the same way, he didn't even... By the way, he doesn't even call them women. He calls them females. Uh, uh, and he doesn't call them men in the latter part. In, the, in verse 27, he calls them males. The males, having abandoned the natural use of the female... Burned in their, in their, uh, lust is not strong enough word anymore uh, for each other. Males with males, working which is what, what is improper and receiving the necessary recompense of their error in their own, in themselves. Second exchange. Uh, I guess this is the third exchange here that we just read. Verse 28, the third handing over. And just as they didn't think it appropriate to keep God in their knowledge, let me, let me do it a different way. I want to preserve the pun that, that Paul has put in the text. Um, and just as they did not approve of keeping God in their knowledge, God handed them over to a disapproved mind. to do the things that are improper. And we've got a list there in verses 30, 29 to 31. There are two kinds of lists that you will find in the, in the Bible. Uh, one with lots of conjunctions and one with no conjunctions. Uh, now I know you didn't sign up for a grammar course, but if you're going to be a student of the Bible, you've got to know some grammar. It's, just, it's, it's an essential element. A conjunction is any function word that ties two things together. Uh, so, uh, A and B, A but B, A or B, yes, any, any of those kinds of words uh, that conjoins two or more elements together. Lists with no conjunctions, well, let me start with the other. Lists with lots of conjunctions... Um, Gosh, there, there's one very well-known one in Paul, uh, and I can't think what it, where it is now. I'm sorry I can't come up with it. Uh, oh, yeah, it's in Romans chapter 8. Um, verse 30, 38, Romans eight thirty-eight. For I am persuaded that neither 
death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. And do you have miracles? What do you have? Hmm? Well, before that, at the end of verse 38, what do you have? Yeah, but do you not have nor nor powers? Powers. Well, yeah, okay, but do you not have powers before that? Yeah, uh, the the word is used in the Gospels consistently for miracles, and it may be that's what's in view here. I, it it not, need not be that, but it but it could be. Powers is the word. Yeah. Um, so it might be neither things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any. So neither nor 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 nor. This kind of list is telling you every member of the list is important. Stop and think about every one of them. Don't let one of these pass by. I want you to take this slowly and, and think about it as you go through. Neither death shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, nor life, nor angels. I wouldn't think angels would, but if you have principalities there in verse 38, uh, this is used in Ephesians for uh, for uh, demonic beings. I don't know what its precise reference is here. Nor things present. What kinds of present things have you been taught in the past might separate you from the love of God? The love of money. The love of money. Or how about sin? Because uh, we've been taught, have we? Ha- have you been taught that you can lose fellowship with God at some time in the past? Um, and what causes you to lose fellowship with God? Well, sin. So, what does it mean to lose fellowship with God? Well, you, you're not experiencing intimacy in the family. Would that not be separation from the love of God? Not in all the senses that Paul is using it in, but... I was often taught that God really isn't very happy with you. Have you been taught things like this ever? I'm going to try to disabuse you of that as we go through this course. Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he wants us to think about every one of them and consider what is the significance of this because we've got all those conjunctions, neither, nor, 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 how many of them? Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of them here. Stop when you have that kind of thing happening, and, 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 nor, 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 nor. Then stop and consider every member of the list. At the end of chapter 1, we have a list with no conjunctions. So uh, what, what's the point? Well, the point here is that the list is important, but not the individual elements of the list. If I were teaching, if I were preaching Romans 1 in church, I wouldn't have a series on all the sins of verses 29, 30, and 31, because this, is, this has no conjunctions. The list is important, but what's really important is, in the list is what's at the end. Look at verse 32. Here's that same pronoun I mentioned, the the very ones who, the very ones who know the righteous decree of God, that those who do such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but they take pleasure in those who do them. Folks, in Romans 1, 18 to 32, it's my opinion that we have a downward spiral, and there are three stages in the downward spiral. They, they relate to the three handings over. If you look at chapter 2 and verse uh, 4, Paul's going to make a statement in that verse. And I want you to re- notice in verse 1, what's the first word? Therefore. Therefore. So he's building what he's saying in chapter 2 off of chapter 1. Howard Hendricks used to say, when you see a therefore, stop to see what it's there for. You need to find out the wherefore of the therefore. Um, So, therefore, you're drawing a conclusion or drawing inferences from what you've said before. 
And one of the things he says is in verse 4. Here's one of the inferences from what he said before. Or do you despise God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God tends to lead you to repentance? But, but because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who shall reward each one according to his works. Well, what is the goodness of God that intends to lead us to repentance that grows out, that, that, that is relevant to a passage growing out of chapter 1? Now, that was that too complicated, so I, you lost track of even what the question was. Chapter 2 grows out of chapter 1. So what is there in chapter 1 that would be the goodness of God that tends to lead people to, to, to repentance? Yeah, it is the handing over. That's exactly what it is. If there were any spiritual sensitivity in the human race at all, and I, folks, most people want to be nice people in one way or another. Yes, they may define nice differently, but most people want to have friends and they want to, they want to have a good conversation with somebody else. Am I right? Um, and we say, uh, you have a good neighbor, you have a good friend, non-believer, but they're a good neighbor, a good friend, good citizen. Yes? Yes? No? Um, they're good people in that sense. But they're not good in the sense that that's a sign of the, of the present, um, what do they call that? Um, Oh gosh, I can't even think of the word. But the grace of God that's at work in the present, restraining sin. If they're given the chance to sin, to do some sin that they've they've contemplated over the years, in a situation where they're pretty sure they're not going to get caught, what's going to happen? They, they do it. Am I making sense to you? And subsequently, they may think, yeah, that, I wish I hadn't done that, but mm, there were some good things that came out of it, and well, I wish I hadn't done that. But it becomes easier the second time and the third and so on. You, you, know, you, you know people. You know this in your own life. Um, so the, the goodness of God is his present wrath against sin. Present wrath works by turning sinners over to more sin. This is, the, this is the passage that describes 21st century America. In fact, it's 20th and 21st century America. It describes who we are as a people. Uh, see, D.A. Carson said in a lecture I heard years ago, he said, in my early years in evangelism on college campuses, he said, the atheists and I would debate but he said, we, we both had the same definition of who and what God is. They were, they were denying the existence of the Christian God. Now, he said, and this was 40 years later, now, he said, I debate with, with atheists, and they're, they're not denying, they don't agree on any definitions about God or good or right or... All of the definitions are gone. Well, what happened to a culture that was even an atheistic Christian culture? Well, God turned sinful people over to more and more sin, and we're seeing the effects of that. And Romans one thirty-two is where we are in our day. Our news media are reveling in the sinfulness of our culture. Yes? The, the, the opinion makers are reveling. They're, they're flaunting the wickedness of our culture. This is at the very bottom of the spiral of sin. So, he moves on to chapter um, 3. Oy vey. Uh, I, I love your quote in your book that you used on this whole area where you said, God created man in his own image and we return to faith. Yeah, well, that's a bird. <laughs> uh, I think it was Voltaire that said that. Uh, 
So, yeah, God created man in his own, own image, and man has returned the favor. Um, so we've recreated God in our own image. Uh, so God is here, he, she, now. Um, so the, uh, so uh, going on into, into oy vey. Uh, oh, I'm way ahead here. I need to move back. 2, 1 to 16 now. Even self-righteous men must acknowledge God's condemnation since even he does not obey God's law. So he says, chapter 2, verse 1. You, you never believed I could do this many verses in one session, did you? You thought we were going to be bogged down in chapter 1 forever and, and, and a day. Uh, wherefore, you are... And here's the same word. You have no d- defense case that you can mount in the court before God. You are without excuse. Not just excuse. You are without defense. And there it is again. O man who condemns, for in that you condemn the other, you condemn yourself in that you judge the other. Do you notice here the word judge? Do you have judge in your text? All right. What does judging mean in chapter 2? Determining right or wrong. Yeah. But we're judging the other. What are we doing about the other? What are we saying about the other? Condemning. Yeah, condemning. Now that's going to be important. Turn to chapter uh, 14 for a minute. In chapter 14, this is, this is where the book is heading. Once again, um, it's aiming to establish the notion that division in the church over what Paul calls, I think, your text may, at the end of verse four, uh, verse one in chapter fourteen, may talk about doubtful things or what? What does your text say in verse one? Disputable, Disputable matters. Yeah, these are matters that God has given us no no direct instruction about. Um, um, one believes he can eat all things; the weak eat vegetables. Now, he's not talking about people who are physically weak. He's talking about people who are spiritually weak. And and I've concluded that weakness here is a condition of having a conscience that's more restrictive than Scripture is. It is never good to condemn practices that God has either not spoken about or that he has commended. It's never good to do that. Uh, so the weak eat vegetables. He goes on. The one who eats, let him not despise the one who does eat. Uh, does not eat. And the one who does not eat, let him not... Judge. Same word. I wonder if it doesn't mean condemn here. What would it mean? What would it signify? I don't see how you can be a Christian and eat meat. As if that had any relevance to our right relationship with God. Any relevance at all. Yeah, but that's what weak people do. They're 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 more uh, restricted in their consciences than Scripture is. By by extension, then the strong are people whose consciences approximate the standards of Scripture. So the closer I am to Scripture, the stronger I am in in my uh, faith and in my walk with the Lord. But they despise the weak. The weak condemn the strong. I just, I just can't see how you can call yourself a Christian and do that. Well, the issue is what we said about um, the disputable matters. These are things that the scriptures neither command nor prohibit. So there are things that God has defined as sin, and, and they are sinful. Uh, but I can't condemn you for that. See? Because I have done those things too and worse. So I can't condemn you even for that. But especially not for things. That's why I say your conscience approximates the standard of Scripture. You, the closer you get to the standard of Scripture, the healthier you are spiritually. The farther you are from the standards of Scripture the more restrictive you are than Scripture is. 
um, the weaker you are spiritually. And we'll see why as we go through Romans. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 1. Can I ask a quick question? Yes, ma'am. I think, and I, I struggle a little bit that word judgment is used a lot oh, yeah. when, when speaking truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that as Christians, we have, at least I do, I struggle to make sure that I'm constantly pushing back that which may cause fear, Yeah. you know, and to be able to say this is really speaking truth, yeah. not yeah. with condemnation. Yeah. And I think that that's such a blur that I think oh, yeah. is worthy of us Absolutely. Like yes. And that's God's right. Word to that's right. Justify yes. Truth, you know? So that this this is not talking about that kind of thing. Here they're condemning people. Um, the the self righteous condemn everybody. Um, uh, we had a a little sad joke that went around the seminary when I was a student. My wife and I got worried about the theology of our church, so we pulled out and started a church of our own. Now I'm worried about my wife. <laughs> you know, you can be, you can set the standard so high that that nobody can fellowship with you. Um, but that's not God's standard. So, uh, what I've got to do is say, remember though, we've raised a generation of people who are always heroes. They're always champions. They're always winners. Even if they played a terrible game, they're always winners. And so if you tell them anything they do is wrong, you're being judgmental. They don't have any other way to think because they've never been given a standard except their own desires about what they, are, what they do. And so you're going to get it, and it's going to be part of the life from this point on in our culture. Is it the scripture that's probably used? Those Judge not that you be... Judge not... Right. Either that or a spiritual man judges all things. Well, you're yeah. Spiritual, yeah. You're not, yeah. So. yeah. Well, my, my, my Matthew chapter 6, uh, ju- judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you sh- it shall be meted yeah. to you. Uh, but, but that's not saying never make judgments. It's saying be careful how you judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the issue here is that the self-righteous actually end up condemning themselves because they fall foul of the very things that they're condemning in others. Here's, here's a good place to go. Um, oy vey, I hate, hesitate to go there. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5, except your righteousness shall exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, you have heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, everyone who hates his brother without a cause, if you're angry at the murderer and you hate your brother, you're already a murderer. Um, uh, you have said, heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her is, is already an adulterer in his heart, has already committed adultery in his heart. So... If you condemn people who commit adultery and you are lustful, you've already condemned yourself. And this is the point. They look at, they see, one of the ways, I've got to start talking to you about legalism now. Legalism is a term that's a sliding term. You always apply it to people who require more obedience than you do. Well, you're just being legalistic about that. Yeah, so uh, so I had to I had to think through what what would be things that are not slide that don't slide with personal preferences. What what can I say about legalism that would be consistent right through all examples of legalism? I've, I've discovered a few com, uh, uh, common characteristics of legalism. One is it always deals with externals always deals with externals. It cannot deal with the matters of the heart. For the, for the second reason, it always deals with what can be measured. I may have mentioned this to you. I, I only have a certain life experience, so I only have a few examples that I can use. But uh, whoever loves the church comes on Sunday morning. People who love the pastor come on Sunday night. 
people who love the Lord come on Wednesday night. Well, that's measurable. You, you, do you have to be born again to do that? No. So, you could conceivably, in lots of churches, this has happened, you could get into leadership of the church just by going to church three times a week. Though you have no spiritual commitments at all. You know how to talk a good, a t- talk, a good talk. You know the language and you use the language right. There's, there's no spiritual issue in it at all. Uh, so there are at least those two things. There, there are, uh, there, there's another characteristic um, which has escaped my mind. It was there, then it left, and it came back, and it's left again. Uh, um, ah, it, it's a way of exerting power over other people. If I can get you to buy into my nasty nine, filthy five, then I get power over you. So I get the right to define what's good and bad. And I get you to follow me, then I get leadership, and I and and we were created to rule. So it's been corrupted by the by the sin by sin in the fall. So I still want to rule, but I want to do it by illegitimate means, and so I'll use this legalistic thing to to control you, get you to buy into this. Uh, I've I've learned, I believe this is valid, that there are two kinds of legalists. There are successful legalists who have defined the rules and gotten other, other people to buy into them. And then there are the unsuccessful legalists who get, couldn't get anybody to buy into their system, so they bought into somebody else's, which they can't keep. Because my legalism is going to be the things that I don't do. The preachers, I... Uh, a man in an odd way related to our family preached a he wrote a book years ago called Bobbed Hair Bossy Wives and Women Preachers John R. Rice John, <laughs> John R. precisely uh, and he'd, he'd preach on the evils of wearing lipstick well how often did John R. ever feel the temptation of putting on lipstick Probably never in his life. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> but his his uh, newspaper when he first put it out was titled "The Sword of the Lord and of John R. Rice." <laughs> that was built on the, the Sword of the Lord and of Gideon uh, from Scripture. So so John R. is right up there with Gideon, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I heard some people call it the knife in the back. <laughs> so, so if you're an unsuccessful legalist, you haven't been able to get anybody to buy into your definitions, but you've bought into somebody else's. And there are two things that are true about most, um, uh, as far as I can tell, about most unsuccessful legalists. Um, to be to 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 live in that world you have to do one of two things. You either have to redefine the rules so that you can keep them. Or you have to redefine God in one way or another. I can conceive of a situation where a genuine believer in a legalistic church, but an unsuccessful legalist, can't live up to the standards, is browbeaten, it's beaten down by the, by the preaching of the church constantly. All I've got to hope for is that God forgives sin. And He does forgive sin. He does. But with the forgiveness, He gives joy. Um, And they're not experiencing joy. So they're redefining forgiveness. At some point, an unsuccessful legalist who's redefined God may just have to say, I I give up. And frankly, I was there. I can I could take you to the place. No, I can't either. They rebuilt that interchange. <laughs> I used to be able to take you to the place on the interchange between I thirty and I I thirty five E in Dallas, where I prayed, Lord, I'm so tired 
of struggling for righteousness. I'm just weary of it. I can't do this. I wish you had not even saved me. Uh, that's an unsuccessful legalist. And I, I was on the verge of saying, I, I, I can't fight sin anymore. I have nothing in me to fight it with. And, and I was right. Theologically, that was right. I just didn't know any resources. I didn't know any alternatives. But the Lord in His good mercy brought me through years later, unfortunately. This was in about 1974 or 75 and it wasn't until 1985 that the Lord brought me out of all that. That's a hellish place to be, folks. Legalism leads to no joy. Um, so it deals with externals, things that can be measured. Um, but, but think about the, f- the fruit of the Spirit. And when a Bible teacher says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, and so on, it means he can't remember the rest of the list. So, so uh, how do you measure love? Four ounces of love, two feet of love. It's not measurable. It's not subject to any kind of measurement. We, can, we recognize great love when we, when we encounter it, but we can't measure it. Do you follow? It's not tangible. It's not something so, so tangible. Christian camps measure the hem, the hems of girls' skirts. Couldn't we just say, look, you need to be modest. Am, am I making sense to you? Yes. Uh, and then, uh, and then, somehow deal with that. Maybe that modesty will mean wearing jeans for girls. It used to be they couldn't do that. Uh, at camps, at camp, they couldn't wear jeans as a girl, but now you can. So why not just let them wear jeans if if, the, if you got to measure the hem, folks? That's legalism. I'm I'm for modesty too. Yes, are, are you with me here? But I'm saying if 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 it comes down to measuring things, how many times a week do you have to go to church to be spiritual? Three. Well, okay, lost people can do that. So there's no spiritual advantage in doing those things. It, in fact, is detrimental. So this is what he's going to address. So verse 2. So what's the link between legalism and self-righteousness? They, they go hand in hand. If you're self-righteous, you're legalistic. So would you say they're synonymous? Mm-hmm. So we're going to get there. Uh, uh, let's see where specifically in verse... Uh, Oh, uh, you who say not to, oh here it is uh, verse 21 the one who teaches another do you not teach yourself the one who says who preaches not to steal do you steal the one who says not to commit adultery do you commit adultery and of course their answer will be no of course not yes but when you understand that stealing, uh, Bruce Waltke made a wonderful observation about the Ten Commandments, and especially the, the four, uh, do not steal, do not murder, do not uh, bear false witness, and do not uh, covet. He said, these are not things for us to abstain from. These are activities that we are to guarantee, that these, these are activities by which we guarantee the right of life, Belonging, family, and reputation to everyone else in the community. These are not my responsibilities to to avoid stealing. This is my task to protect your right to ownership. Do you follow? So if I'm not protecting your right of ownership, then I'm engaged in stealing. None of us would think in those terms, but that's that's the way Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. So, uh, verse 2 of, of Romans 2, we know that the judgment of, tr- of God is according to truth against so- those who do such things. But do you consider this? Do you take this into, into account? 
O man who judges those who do such things and does them himself, that you shall do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise his goodness and his forbearance and his mercy and his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your hardness and unrepentance, um, I'm sorry, uh, unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous decree of God. Let me stop there. Uh, Why does God not simply judge immediately all sin? Partly the answer is because I don't want him to. I don't want him to judge the effects of my sin. I just want him to judge your sin, number one. Number two, um, the longer he delays judgment, the worse it's going to be. So there, notice that word treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. Where is that specifically? Verse 5. Verse 5. You're treasuring up. There is a treasury being laid up. There's a, a treasury of wrath. Um, and we start in the middle of verse 6 with, a, with, a, uh, uh, with four statements. We're almost at the end of our hour here, so I'll keep on top of this. Uh, he will repay to each one according to his deeds. To those who, in long suffering, in the good work, he will reward glory and honor and incorruption to those who seek eternal life. To those who, out of strife and disobedience to the truth, but obedience to wickedness, wrath and anger. Tribulation, do you notice now he's going, to, he's going to go back the same route he just came in. Tribulation and distress to every soul of man who, or of humanity who works the evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Glory and honor and peace to everyone who, works, who does what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no... Um, uh, prejudicial judgment, partiality, partiality with God. Um, God isn't partial. And by the way, notice here, Jew and Greek. He said that back in 18 and 19. Now he says it again here, Jew and Greek. Why? Because Jew has no ground to despise the Greek, and the Greek has no ground to condemn. I'm sorry, the Jew has no right ground to condemn the Greek, and the Greek has no ground for despising the Jew. He's, he's laying the foundation, you see, for what he's going to do in Romans chapter 14. Am I making sense to you? One of the characteristics of, of, that I've, I've read recently about good expository preaching is that you not only preach a passage and, and another passage in the same book, but that you relate them to the overall purpose of the section of the book and the overall purpose of the book. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing expository preaching. And I think that's right. This is what I've become convinced of over the years. Folks, if you don't know what the purpose of a book is, you don't know the book. So, he's preparing us for Romans 14, even at this point in chapter 2. So, the weak are redeemed by the, the, the blood of Christ. Yes? In Romans 14? Yes? They're condemned in Romans 2. They're condemning their brothers who are strong. But how can they condemn the brothers who are strong when they are under condemnation themselves? They have no, they have no ground for condemnation. The brothers who are strong are despising the weak. But they're condemned along with the weak. Apart from the work of Christ... And so they have no ground for their condemnation. With verse 12, uh, let's move on here. With verse 12, we'll move into uh, the way God deals, even with people who've never had his, rev- uh, his, his uh, revelation. 
So that will be an interesting passage uh, and uh, will require some thought as we go through it. Uh, indeed, the rest of this chapter is going to be addressing this issue. How do you deal with people who've never had the revelation of God in Scripture? So let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters who gathered here. Thank you for their longing to understand who you are and what you're doing. I pray that as I work and I think and I teach, that that you will use this for their good and building them up in the faith. Protect them against me and anything I might do that would be harmful to them spiritually. Um, but But give them a growing desire to know you and to and to know what your word says you've given us to it's the only tangible thing that we have that that expresses specifically and accurately your will so father um, open us further more to your word so that we may know you and knowing you to 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 really come into the possession of the joy of life for jesus sake we pray